Hello everyone, Blythe Bromley with DigitalDispatch.io here, and I've got a good one for you today, so I want to start it off with a question. Do you struggle with what to post and why? Because maybe this framework can help. It's called the KLT method, and it's a content marketing framework to take those big ideas and turn them into an actual plan. The concept kind of works like if you think about it in the way of a percentage scale. So 70% of your content is knowledge, 20% of your content and what your brand likes and what life is like. And then 10% is about trust, AKA vulnerability. So that's where the KLT part comes from. Knowledge, like in life and trust. This framework gives a good idea of the insights that your audience can expect to learn from you, what makes you tick, uh, how you've learned the insights you're about to teach them or help them with. By using the KLT method, it will help shape your storytelling into something that's a little bit more useful for your customers while also showing off how you and your company are different. Now, keep in mind, this framework is for channeling ideas and putting those ideas into buckets of action for your social, your email, your website copy, things like that. In this episode, I'm breaking down the reasoning for this formula and framework in today's episode to explain it a little bit more of how you can think about taking your ideas and channeling them in a way that will hopefully help you organize your thoughts. Hope you all enjoy. The first one that I want to kind of jump into is a few different news topics that you might have missed in the world of social media. So the first one that I want to hit on really quick is the ability to add your podcast to your Facebook business page. Now, if you have a podcast already, this is sort of a new opportunity. And I know I kind of harp on Facebook a lot. I think a lot of people harp on Facebook a lot. But the ability to add your podcast to your business page is huge, in my opinion. The, oh, there's 3 billion users still on the Facebook platform. And it's one of those things that if you aren't really active on Facebook, like a lot of other people aren't, there are still people who, especially an older demographic that goes to Facebook every single day, multiple times a day. And they don't really know how to find a podcast, how to subscribe to one, how to download an app in order to engage with one. So what this new connection does is you take your podcast RSS feed, you connect it to your business page, and then you're done. As far as a publisher is concerned, every time you publish a new episode, it automatically publishes over to Facebook. And then uh, your audience will be able to see or your Facebook algorithm feed will be able to show your podcast episodes as they're published. And it's just a really cool feature. <clears throat> Excuse me. While you won't be able to see the podcast on the desktop version of the site, it's really, really, it, it looks really good as far as the mobile version of the site. So I had to download the Facebook mobile app for the first time in years in order to see what it looks like. And it looks really, really good. Uh, Facebook launched this about over the summer, but it was, uh, there, there were a lot of bugs to begin with, but now it looks like things are operating a little bit smoothly. I don't believe it's opened up globally yet. I think it's just a US based feature right now. Uh, but so far, so good. Folks can interact with the show. They can like it. They can share it with friends. Um, they can even cut little clips if they wanted to send if it, a part of the show that they really resonated with. It, they can cut little clips and send it over in order to increase that shareability. So that's one really cool tool that we saw uh, during the break that I got to a chance to experiment with. Um, there's a few other things that I could talk about. Uh, there was a whole study that was conducted by LinkedIn in order to determine what kind of posts perform the best. Hint, it's text-based posts with an image. Those typically perform the best. 
or if you're going to include a link in the post that you're about to share, meaning you found a cool story online and you want to share it to your LinkedIn page or your LinkedIn profile, then what you would do or what it's recommended to do is to talk a little bit about what, how you think that that post is interesting and then post that link in the comments. You don't want to post it with your original post because LinkedIn will deprioritize it. I think that's, this is something that a lot of people kind of know already, but just in case you're wondering, why is it my LinkedIn engagement performing better? It's because LinkedIn treats any links that send people away from the platform, they deprioritize it. So Think about that whenever you're you're scheduling your next LinkedIn post is that you probably want to keep it text-based, add in an image for good measure. And if you do want to include a link, just post it in the comments. There is another story from Instagram. They now allow folks to add a link to their stickers in their story. So if you're still messing around on Instagram, posting uh, different stories, then what you can do now, this used to only be available to folks who had 10,000 subscribers or more. Now all profiles and all pages are able to add a link to their stories. So if you think about your Instagram story as a as, as story, then you want to think about it. What's your first clip? What's your ending clip? And what are the clips in the middle that you are going to define that story about? So a singular topic, a singular event, and that's how you want to craft your story. And then at the very end, that's where you want to place the link for folks to learn more. Now, I wouldn't expect a lot of uh, crazy engagement or conversion from that. It, for the accounts that had 10,000 followers or more, They've been using this feature for a while and that conversion rate, even with that link or with the ability to add that link, it's still less than 1%. So I wouldn't expect like any crazy things to start happening from Instagram story links. But if you have less than 10,000 followers, which a lot of us do, many of us do, then what you can do is now you can add a link into your stories. A uh, couple little minor things. YouTube removed the dislike counter so you can still see how many people like a video, but you can't see how many people dislike a video, which I don't, I think is kind of, uh, I, I think it's counterintuitive. Uh, you, for a lot of videos, you want to see right off the bat of, of if a video is going to be worth your time or not. And so with YouTube trying to hide that, you can probably guess that they want to hide or discourage people away from looking at a video, seeing a very high or a subjectively high dis dislike on that video. And then what will happen is you won't watch the video. And so by removing that, they're probably encouraging more users to just focus on the positive and watch the video anyway, which is YouTube's main goal anyways. And final note, TikTok is still the number one social media app for the second year in a row, which basically has every other social media app deeply concerned, which is why they keep copying a lot of the features that TikTok has. Um, so that's one more note. If you haven't had a chance to jump on that platform yet, like I said earlier in the show, it's much more than just dancing videos. There's lots of educational content happening on there. A lot of port workers, uh, crane operators, supply chain drivers, they're all on TikTok and they're sharing really cool content. And that's just something that you should be made aware of. And it, you're not going to be posting content. That's one thing, but at least download the app, engage with it and see how the storytelling is evolving to a short form video format. So now, final story before we bring in our first guest is I want to talk about Twitter for a second because Jack Dorsey, their longtime CEO, has chosen to let leave the company earlier this week. He posted a message on Twitter right after informing all of his employees via email. And one of the more interesting things that I thought that he he wrote in the the go away email, I guess the go away or or I'm going away email, is that he said that ultimately I believe that. 
being founder-led is severely limiting and a single point of failure for most companies. And he said that he has worked hard to ensure that this company, Twitter, can break away from its founding and its founders. And so to me, this reads that Twitter is, he's done with Twitter. And for somebody who is uh, not, I guess, afraid of being in the mud when it comes to content moderation, Jack has really been one of the better CEOs when it comes to social media. Um, he has been, there are decisions that have been made. Uh, banning Trump for life from the platform is a highly controversial move, but in a lot of people's eyes, it was the right move. Now, you could fall on either side of that fence. That's I'll leave that opinion up to you. But Jack Dorsey, for the most part, has been sort of a bastion of free speech and allowing that free speech conversation to take place on Twitter. I would make a case and I would make an argument that Twitter is still very much um, an echo chamber and that the majority, the overwhelming majority of tweets that are sent out on the platform uh, tend to lean one side on the political spectrum. And the overwhelming majority of those 10% of people create more than 92% of all tweets on the platform. Uh, but it's still a platform that has been around for more than a decade and has really been a, a, a for the most part, a good experience. Now with Jack leaving, there remains to be seen what's going to happen with the platform. But I wanted to circle it back to that comment that he made about being founder led, because it's, I think for Twitter's perspective, they don't need to focus on storytelling and being a founder. It's very important that you can tell a story. For a platform as large as Twitter, they don't have to do that anymore. So for him to say that being founder-led is detrimental to the company, yes, that's true on one extent. But on the other hand, it's very, very important in order to be able to craft not only your story, but the customer's story, and then also the company story. And so that's what we're going to dive into right now is if you're a startup and you're looking at the landscape, it's it's sort of you're wondering where to get started when it comes to storytelling, because that is a big piece of how you stand out as a new company trying to gain a foothold in the marketplace and gain some market share. So let's talk about three different ways to tell a story and then how we dive into it from a macro perspective down to a micro perspective. And so for the macro perspective, you want to think of it from the company story point of view, the founder story point of view, and then the customer story. Most people mess up the customer story. It's easy to answer the questions about the company and about the founder because those are all usually internal and you can get those answers very quickly. The customer story, doing customer interviews, talking to your customers on a regular basis, that's where most companies screw up. So it's those three models to keep in mind. And then you want to take that and you want to structure it into what I like to call the KLT method. That's the knowledge method. So the first, the K part of that uh, I guess, uh, equation is knowledge. And then the L part of that is the, what your brand likes. So like, and life. So what your brand likes and what brand or what your brand is as far as the life is concerned. Um, and then the last one, the T method is the trust, AKA vulnerability. And so when you think about the KLT method, so the knowledge you want to be able to share 70% of your content should be based on knowledge what your company knows, what what your audience can expect to learn from you, what makes you tick, and then how you've learned those insights you're about to teach your customers or help them with. So keeping that in mind, 70% of your content should be knowledge, 20% should be about your brand, and then 10% should be about trust, aka vulnerability. 
And so how do we take that content from a macro perspective and then move it into the micro? So you're going to want to use this KLT method, which I, I didn't invent, by the way. I have to say this is sort of like a, a marketing thing that's been known for quite some time, but it's just a way to structure. It's a framework to think about your storytelling. And so thinking of it from the macro perspective, then thinking about it from the micro perspective, and it's telling the story each step of the way through a corresponding piece of content. Um, it's not a single piece. It can be multiple pieces, of course, uh, but you want to tell your stories. You want to tell your secrets. You want to tell the problems that your customers are experiencing. You want to tell your promises, and then you want to make the offer. So five things that you want to think about, your stories, your secrets, your problems, your promises, and the offer. Now, the first two stories and secrets, that's where most companies fail because it's relatively easy. I think it's still a struggle point for a lot of companies to convey the customer problems that they're experiencing, but it's relatively easy to talk about those problems and how you help solve them and your offer. But the stories and the secrets of how you get there is what sets you apart from your competition. So using that KLT method, factoring it into the story, secrets, problems, promises, and offers, that's going to help shape your storytelling into something that's useful for your prospects, for your customers, and then for your company in order to encourage it to grow using the storytelling framework. So once you have those ideas channeled, it then helps your employees with conveying that message through social media. Maybe you're encouraging everyone to post on LinkedIn a few times a week, which you absolutely should be. So it encourages and it gives your employees a framework to work with in order to be creative, get their messaging across as long as they're following that, that macro to micro framework. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. If you like what you heard, consider sharing it with a friend. Podcast discoverability is a bit of a challenge for creators like myself, so word of mouth goes a long way. You can check out past episodes of the show by hitting up the learn page on digitaldispatch.io. I also have some free courses on the site that cover content marketing, distribution, and even how to audit your own website. That's going to come in handy as everyone starts to prepare for those 2022 budgets. While you're there, you can also check out our socials, the DIY shop, or custom services. Until next time, I'm Blythe Brumleave, and I will see you real soon.